1: Thank you Rural Scoop listeners for joining me today. I have the pleasure of talking with Andy Smith, the coordinator for teacher education at Prescott College in Arizona. He'll be sharing some stories from rural school houses around that area with student teachers and teacher placement over the last year and how that's looked for him and his teachers. I'm looking forward to hearing about his experiences and learning more about the challenges and successes for both new and aspiring teachers in his area. Andy, are you ready to give us the scoop? I sure am. Great. Well, first, Andy, tell us about you and Prescott College. What are you what are you doing there? And and how did you get there?
0: Sure. Um, I am currently the coordinator of teacher ed programs, which means that I oversee student teachers and a a big portion of the teacher preparation program, although other faculty do assist with that as well. So as Students are going through our program um, at any level, which could be master's level, post-bac level, or bachelor's level. Usually at some point they funnel through me as the person who will oversee their student teaching experience, either as a traditional student teacher or as an alternative certificate student teacher, which we do have both at the college. And the other areas I work in as well are in the areas of special education, where I do teach several classes uh, for the special education prep program as well, mm-hmm. uh, both on campus and online. Uh, in my past experience, I've been a superintendent at two different districts in Arizona, Antelope Union in Yuma County and Yarnell Elementary in Yavapai County. And I've got my start here in Arizona in Walton Elementary School District in Yuma County. I got, uh, excuse me, I was uh, my position at Prescott College came about as I was an adjunct faculty there. And they were looking to create some coordinator positions who would oversee certain aspects of the education preparation program and invited me to move from an adjunct faculty into an associate faculty position there. And that's so far, that's my experience there, and it's uh, I'm really enjoying it.
1: That's wonderful. So, Andy, what has this past year been like for you, for Prescott College, and specifically? Probably more importantly, your teacher candidates.
0: Well, I think like any other organization or school, Prescott College has had some concerns with the pandemic. Last spring, all these students who do live on campus, and if you've never been to our campus, uh, it's in uh, in all, kind of outside of downtown Prescott, but kind of part of the downtown area, a couple blocks um, away from the square, hmm. and. Uh, last spring the students were sent home to wherever they lived Um, the campus was abandoned we all went remote um, going to work from home and I I think nearly every office did except for a few positions so like any any other organization or any other school we experienced a removal um, from the campus and now as someone who has been had been teaching online and was well aware of how to do it. This wasn't a big change for me because I actually work at home. Now and I, I do go on campus occasionally. But I think it was very difficult for our students, especially those in the traditional sense who were mm-hmm. undergraduates on campus. Um, and then of course that kind of rolled into what's going to happen with our student teachers. And so the next part of this is to discuss what I saw as someone who was coordinating the program. Now last spring I wasn't a student teaching coordinator, but I can tell you what I experienced this fall, as schools were coming back um, for the fall, and I started overseeing the student teacher system, um, many of our teachers could be in person in some rural districts or small districts, but of course most were remote,
1: right.
0: and that was a new experience now for me to move into that because part of my job is to do a teacher evaluation. Now, as we know traditionally, as the the college teacher um, student teacher coordinator, I would go to the school see how things are going, talk with the cooperating teacher, talk with the principal, right. whomever is overseeing them. And that would be my experience. And we'd work together to build an evaluation. Well, now it's done remotely. So what we had to start doing was recording our video lessons, hopefully not seeing the students to not violate any kind of student uh, privacy, videotaping our lessons, and then having me do an evaluation remotely. And of course, some of the principals and cooperating teachers had to do the same thing. So, not only were we watching Zoom, we were watching Zoom quite a bit. I felt like teaching went from <laughs> something you did in person to something you did on television. So that was one thing that was different. Now, there's a there's a chance here to expand that. Now, for our people who's um or, excuse me, our students who were in the secondary levels or middle school levels, the students were kind of quick to adapt. That's mm-hmm. not as difficult in my experience as what I saw whenever you're watching someone. Who's a student teacher doing early childhood special ed preschool?
1: Wow. That's
0: a little different. Now, if you take your average eighth grade science class, students are on Zoom, teachers doing a lesson, maybe walking through an experiment. Uh, there's a whiteboard or some kind of electronic whiteboard um, type of instrument where they're manipulating, they're writing on it, students are writing on it. Some school districts had very high technology, some school districts did not. Um, there was a chance to really get an engaging experience for the students. However, if you're teaching early childhood special ed and those children are um, not able to speak, need sign language, have assistive technology, have visual impairment problems, that's when this became very interesting for our student teachers. Because when, and as you've probably experienced, you walk in and you watch a kindergarten teacher doing zoo phonics,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: alley alligator and, ddd dear. Yep. Well, that's a little trickier to do in Zoom when you're watching someone in their living room and a parent who's now trying to help that student instead of a para-pro who's trained to help that student learn. Watching parents become frustrated on video. Watching teachers become frustrated, especially watching children become frustrated at those lower grade levels. So that was a challenge to help those student teachers learn to build a lesson that was going to be engaging, fulfilling, reach a goal, meet a standard or objective remotely with different varying grade levels.
1: And how did you how did you design or did you design curriculum that would help those new teachers engage with students in an online format?
0: Well, you know, I think that um, as watching student teachers, I really left it up to the districts or the school they were working at to help those teachers. I didn't want to get too involved with their curriculum, but I would give them some coaching. But this was also new for me to watch at that level because I had taught um, preschool special ed myself, and I am certified in that area. So, but often that was a small group, one on one, maybe three students Mm -hmm. at a time. Because again, I was in rural areas, in small areas. But I've also seen my own frustration. Let's say when I was teaching, when I was once a music teacher, and I was teaching preschool or kindergarten with twenty preschoolers in a room, and we're trying to learn a song that's a difficult audience to get through that objective, get through that process. Doing it remotely is even more difficult because I might be singing, but maybe their computer's turned off. Maybe the sound is turned off. Maybe they can't see. Maybe the Wi-Fi is bad. Maybe our student teachers who are up in um, the Northern part of Arizona, where it's very windy, might lose their internet for some time. Mm. There was a lot of considerations to be aware of. And a lot of, um, patience that was needed to make sure you saw something that was a good student teaching experience or a good teaching experience with fidelity. Mm-hmm. Now, if I, can, if I can come back for a moment, my own teaching um, online with my um, pre-student teachers or pre-service teachers, whatever you want to call it, that was okay. Most of our students at Prescott College have an online component to their classes, if they're in person or not. So we were able to just kind of move it from one venue to another. For me, that wasn't difficult, but I will share with you that for many teachers who were not used to teaching online, only online, using Zoom like this, or going to the online format all the time was a very much a challenge and had asked some of us in the education faculty who had experience doing this how to change curriculum, how to change our approach, how to build a lesson that was going to be both engaging and fulfilling, meet the objectives and standards, and also be something the students got a real experience with. So at the college level, I saw difficulties with teachers, and at the K to twelve level, pre K to twelve level, a lot of adjustment throughout the the fall um, from the summer. A lot of adjustment.
1: You mentioned challenges around things like broadband and Wi Fi access, and moving to uh, a platform that teachers may or may not have been comfortable engaging with students within, um, what other challenges did you face or did your, your teachers face during this last year? And, and how did you overcome them if you were able to?
0: Well, I think the one thing that I saw was somebody I'll I'll say in two different ways. The first one I saw was I, this spring, and and some teachers in the fall were actually able to be on campus, Hmm. not many, um, what we saw was how are they handling distancing in the classroom, teamwork, group work, how to build a really strong experience even with limited spacing and the right kind of materials and how to be safe about it. That was very difficult I think for some student teachers. And it was difficult for the teachers overseeing them because they wanted those teachers to have a really good experience as well, but maybe they could not do it the way they hoped. Some of the successes I did see were, at Prescott College, we have a wide variety of student teachers in public districts, charters, private schools, private preschools. And we, we cover all those areas. Some of the more successful ones were in smaller preschools, smaller private preschools, where maybe they only let so many students in. They could maybe manipulate, maybe that's not the best word, but they could control how many students were in the building at a time. Maybe the students came in shifts. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were only letting in, you know, maybe they did three, three different shifts in a day of four to five kids that worked Mm -hmm. fairly well the ones who could not do that seem to be the most concerned about having a good experience but also giving the kids the best experience so you saw in the videos of watching them teach the social distancing the cubicle type items up wearing ppe protective gear um you know, making sure that they were wiping off every marker on the whiteboard as they've used it, you know, right. making sure that all the, you know, making sure those type of uh, there was lots of hand sanitizer in the room. You know, those became part of the student teaching experience as well. Not just, you know, I'm walking in with a good lesson plan. I'm walking in with a safe lesson plan. So that was a um, a big part of this for the ones who could be in person. The ones online, there were always struggles with Helping parents understand what was going to be expected if the parents were able to help Mm. from the teacher for the day. So what a couple of my really brilliant student teachers, some really good ones, they were really good about prepping parents about what they were going to be doing. Maybe giving a weekly, like a a sheet on Monday, they would send to the parent maybe via email or just on the screen. Here's what we're going to do this week. Here are the steps we're going to walk through to do our zoo phonics or do our counting or do our singing for days of the week. You know, stuff like that. where. They were showing the parents what to be expecting as well. I think that might be a good lesson for parents as well to see the expectations of not only that what we, you know, we should come to expect from our school, but also what is going to be expected of our students when they eventually return to school. That was an eye opener for some parents for sure.
1: Well, and it certainly gave parents a different view into the classroom, a, a more transparent view than they have ever had before.
0: Exactly. I, and I think really on the curriculum level, the material level, what they're, you know, it's really easy to just kind of, tr- you know, have maybe a quiet trust in what's happening at your local school and your kids, in your students' classroom, your kids' classroom, that they're doing these things, but what are they really doing? Now I really see what they're doing. Now I know what the expectations are.
1: Right.
0: And um, the ones who are ready for that, to share that with parents, I think had a really good experience and a stronger experience. And then there were, I think one, maybe one more part to this, there were some student teachers who didn't get great experiences at all. Their school might go back in, they, then they might go back to online the next week, or something's happened where they've had to completely shut down, or um, quarantines, or whatever it might be, or getting access to the material at the school, but they couldn't go back into the school because they couldn't let anyone in the building, depending on the state, because as like any college, we have student teachers in different states. And Arizona was um, less restrictive than other states. For example, I had a student teacher in Washington. For a whole semester, I think she got to be with kids maybe two weeks. Wow. Which isn't a long time to be with the students. Now, she did online things, uh, lessons, and she had experiences, but it wasn't what she was hoping to get from this experience.
1: So, Andy, talk a little bit more about that. Are the teachers that were going through those kinds of preparation, online preparation, are they at a disadvantage now when they get into a classroom with kids? And how might they try to mitigate not having that direct experience?
0: I I think it depends. I, I think they if they felt comfortable with students before, or they just maybe they had good field experience, observation experiences, I think they'll be okay. But it it's it may be a a learning for them and may be a mountain to climb to learn to go um, into the in, into being with students in person or coming back out of it. or maybe one thing I have seen this year is we are going to have student teachers who are working for an, an on, the online component of the school. Mm-hmm. And we've been I think we have two students now who are asking I need to do my student teaching, but I only want to do it through an online program, an AOI. So that's going to be something new as a college to experience. I don't know if we have the language for it just yet. And I don't think, in fact, I don't think we do. We had to make sure that whoever they're working under is certified or there is some component of someone being certified. So this is, uh, again, we're we're breaking new ground here. Not only did we have to completely rethink the way we're um, teaching students in a virtual environment, but training teachers to teach students in a virtual online environment. And then what is the job going to look like down the road? You know, what is it going to look like a couple of years from now? Um, And what are districts doing about being able to service what everybody wants. Some people now want an online component. Maybe they don't want to send their children to, into a building anymore for whatever reason. It's it's becoming carte blanche, but it's certainly a, new, um, uh, a brave new world in that sense. So yeah, I think that there will be some who will have difficulty moving back and forth or maybe maybe they'll have difficulty being in front of kids. We'll see. I think it was maybe easy to, if, but maybe we'll get new teachers, people who were shy to be in front of the kids because kids can be a tough audience, but maybe if they have to turn off their screen and just have an avatar there, they'll be able to teach their, their hearts away.
1: <laughs> that's, that's a good point. <laughs> so what are some of the lessons that that you and your student teachers have learned in this pandemic era of, of teaching And um, that you want to make sure are things that they take with them into their teaching careers.
0: The one thing and the one lesson to come back to is going to be be prepared for this. Be prepared in a sense that you can go from what you're doing physically in person with good engagement, good curriculum, good lesson planning, good execution of that lesson plan, good assessment post-lesson, good preparation can move from in person to online like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, to be able to do it and think of that quickly, that this might happen. Um, Let's hope it doesn't. But if it does and we have to be prepared for it. What is it going to look like? Maybe, um, you know, if we always think about when we were teachers, you always had that uh, rainy day lesson plan just in case you didn't come into work. Oh, yes, you did. (laughs) Now you have to have the, the, the backup lesson plan, like five days of lesson plans and a backup virtual lesson plan. Maybe we need to have that ready at the ready all the time. Now, I do think some of our younger Uh, more traditional student teachers, people who were undergrads, um, going to college, you know, for the first time, they're out of high school a few years now, they're our traditional type of students, they're going to be better prepared for this. They're more flexible, more malleable about this. What's changed? I dare say some of our older folks or more experienced folks might have a little more difficulty. Now, I've seen some really good ones who were quick to adapt but I think for some people, this would be very difficult to, to go through again without being ready. And I think it might say, you know what? I think I'm done. And of course, we are seeing these shortages and we know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that the, the ones coming up are going to be prepared pretty quick. And also, think they're going to be um, mentally ready to change their environment quickly and understand why it's changing and how to change it and what, you know, how, when, why, what's of what to do next if this does happen. And, um, Maybe even th- think in a way that's going to be the best re- results for any type of student online, in person, via Zoom, part of the day, um, you know, what that's going to look like.
1: Has Prescott College talked any about revamping their teacher prep curriculum to include some of these lessons that they've learned over the last year?
0: We've certainly been talking about it. Um, that's you know, part of my job is to bring up some of those ideas and, and, and write out some Thoughts moving forward that we might be able to incorporate into our courses to say, you know, part of a a weekly assignment might be how would you or, you know, for example, any of my special ed classes, there's always a lesson planning component, uh, an assignment, or maybe a a final assignment where you're building lesson plans, special ed. So we're talking about differentiation, Mm -hmm. changing the type of assessment to fit the student's needs, writing lesson plans around, around a student's exceptionalities. Mm -hmm. But maybe also add another component to that, how are we going to go virtual? you think of the points of a good lesson plan, materials, um, independent learning, um, engagement, um, standards, objectives, differentiation, assessment, virtual preparation. Maybe that'll be another component to lesson planning down the road that we'll be ready for. And maybe that needs to be revamped in curriculum or any college's curriculum uh, in in a teacher prep program to be ready for that.
1: I'm sure that you've seen some pretty awesome innovations that have just naturally come to the surface as, as these teachers have navigated online classrooms. What are some of the really outstanding innovations that you've seen?
0: I think the um, a couple that I really liked was one of the I went. They're not a student teacher, but let's say, but they're in teacher prep, so they're getting close to student teaching, and they are a student of ours in the Phoenix Union District. So they are a parapro. They were able, they're in a life skills program. So they are working with high school students on life skills, post high school, post high school transition. Not only did they were able to think, well, how are we going to help this student with an exceptionalities, maybe with Down syndrome, not only find a job, but how can someone with Down syndrome work in, an, in a virtual world or have a good experiences in a virtual world? And they were able to not only change like a lesson plan format where we're going to take them to the Circle K and teach them how to buy a water to how to order water online. Hmm. As part of now, not only that, we will teach them the first part, but we're also going to teach them the second part of this too. Bringing up some ideas like that, that was the stuff I just really found fascinating. That they Maybe they're doing it right now in that district, fantastic. But the students are able to talk about it too that we we might have to consider this down the road is that if you come back to people with exceptionalities, the world is not always built um, to let them be successful easily in this world. So how do we make accommodations and differentiate and be concerned about differentiation for them not only to survive, but to thrive?
1: Right.
0: How do I order food virtually? How do I make sure that I can do my banking online, whatever it might be? It was easy for a lot of us to go online. But it wasn't easy for everybody. And how do we help those folks in those areas? Um, maybe it's less than eight percent of the population. But when we think about people with ex- exceptionalities, how do we help our students prepare those students to move forward? So those types of innovations have been great. Now that's with just a lesson planning idea. With the idea of actual teaching, how do we help? How did I see teach student teachers help students virtually? I think the one thing that I saw with many was to make the virtual environment kind of fun, even though you're at home. If it's a dress up day, you're still dressing up. If you know, make almost every moment, um, let's say you're doing something like um, capturing kids hearts, mm-hmm. how do you still make those type of um, relationships with the students virtually? You might not see them for eight months. Maybe now you're getting back to seeing them again, hopefully. But how did you make that environment great for those students as well at home? and make it fun, engaging, exciting. You know, did you do dress up days? Did you do check-ins? What happened fun at your house? What did you do to make a relaxing experiences as well? Talking about those things and really engaging the students on that. And I, one thing watching student teachers, I heard some great stories from the kids. I could hear them, but I couldn't necessarily see them. And about exciting things happening at their homes, but just still building that good rapport.
1: Right. Now, one of the components that um, is present in all of these teacher prep programs is pulling in the school leader and, and having um, interactions with that principal or assistant principal, whoever's uh, the lead for the program at, at the site. Did you uh, experience any innovative ideas from those leaders or were, were there things that, um, that you saw them grow in uh, in their own schools or their own districts that are worth sharing?
0: Well, I think there are two parts to this. The first part I will say is I think that speaking with some, I wouldn't say they were underprepared, but I don't think they were up for the contingencies of maybe the Wi-Fi not working well or students not having access to materials. Maybe it's a, a computer or the paper material, whatever that might be. So sending packets home and um, sending materials home so students had something to work from. That was a big concern. So Seeing what other schools were doing, like school leaders doing, um, what one a couple items I saw were stu- you know, getting the, the bus drivers, bring the bus drivers to not only <laughs> instead of taking the kids home, they were taking not only a meal but their their work. So every seat <laughs> was the meal and the work instead of the student actually sitting there. So I saw some of that, which was really neat to see. Um, and really special because the kids did like when the bus shows up. I mean, they that is it's like, as adults, we love when the mailman comes, like, I'm getting something. I think the students saw that as well. Uh, I think that was exciting. Um, I I think that some, I think I, I, I saw a lot of flexibility. I think that was one thing I did see. They were really flexible with letting the teachers have a lot of control over what the students and the student, the student teacher or alternative certificate teacher could do. It seemed that the principals were really flexible. And allowed that flexibility. And also, were, I, I did see one thing that I was really impressed with talking to a principal from Tucson Unified, mm-hmm. one of our student teachers. They were really concerned that their teacher, their student teacher was going to be able to do this well, get a good experience, and also be able to remain at the school um, as, as a part of their teaching force because they didn't want to lose them. And they wanted, so there, I saw a lot of heart. I saw that that kind of like I'm going to help lead this community, I'm going to help lead this school. So maybe I didn't see so much on the the technology, maybe something more innovative, but I saw a lot of heart show up, sending food home, sending work home, sending that bus around, um visiting people online, giving teachers flexibility and double checking that we're going to be able to keep them working and keep them certified. That's what I saw a lot of.
1: And that's probably even more important. Making sure oh, that yeah, you're the the sure. lead cheerleader. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that was it. You know, they were maybe, and not that I do not want to politicize anything, but when I saw other areas of government, not stepping up, I saw a lot of school leaders step up. That was impressive. And that, that was, that really hit a lot.
1: So Andy, this was a year of growth for everyone involved in all levels of education. How did you see yourself growing as an educator?
0: Going to a full-time college job is something I dreamed of for a long time. And I'd been an adjunct faculty at Arizona Western, University of Phoenix, Northern Arizona. And, and of course, Presby College before I took the job full-time. And areas of growth for me have really come about in that I'm able to understand some of the bureaucracy better. Now, that doesn't seem like an area of growth too much. (laughs) But understanding the way bureaucracy tends to move, and I've always been very involved with that understanding of it. But understanding how to translate it to help my student teachers be prepared to be certified to pass teacher tests, uh, and also to work with school districts and, and, and understand that bridging that gap. And I hate to say I wasn't always going to be a, a great bureaucrat, but maybe I—that I, was my calling. That's one area I've seen of growth is to walk folks through that. I think the other, uh, another area of growth for me has been to. Be pragmatic. And, and what I mean by that is looking at the way the, the college's special ed courses, the curriculum is uh, is built, helping our future teachers and helping current cert- alternative certificate teachers or post teachers use what we're teaching, it, what I'm doing in the class, taking it from my class into what they're doing. And I received a few compliments about that. I'll share one with you. Um, one of my parapros who, one of our parapros in One of the districts wrote me a note saying they really like the way I'm teaching the class. I said, Well, I don't know the person telling me that, but I thank them. I said, Why did they write that to me from you? They said, because you are preparing me to understand how IEP Pro is going to work, how to do the paperwork of special ed, understand the requirements of an IEP assessment, the processes of you know to Met to IEP to MET, you know, to uh, testing the MET to, to IEP. They felt when they were a student teacher or coming up as a teacher, they didn't get that kind of bulk work that you've been giving me as a para pro learning to be a teacher. I said, well, I thank you. I'm I'm trying to be pragmatic in my approach here. At the same time, a bit academically philosophical, but that doesn't always work with teaching. Sometimes you have to come back to be a pragmatist. And I know that I learned that. So building on that, I always remind the students in my courses that I'm not ever giving you work that you're not going to see down the road how to prepare you for a teacher evaluation. It's not only going to come from a principal or maybe a superintendent principal position or a head teacher. What you're going to need to do as part of an evaluation, what you're going to need to see is a special education audit. Because you know the AD is going to do that once in a while.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: How to understand the way to write a goal, how to understand a transition IEP. And I needed to grow that myself, you know, to remind myself how it's done. I did take a few years off to work for NWEA testing. So I'd been out of it just a bit. But it, took me, uh, it didn't take me too long to get back on that horse, so to say, in rural Arizona
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh, or a mule, uh, if you will. So um, that was one thing I wanted to bring to the teachers, how to make my every lesson, every course, every weekly course assignment to reflect what's going to actually be happen- happening on the job. Yes, let's go back. There are some academic philosophies in there in that world. But how do we make those moments pragmatic as well? Everything comes back to understanding exceptionality as a student, as a special education teacher, how you write lessons plans for it, how you assess it. One um, coming student teacher this fall, I reminded them, I said, have you ever noticed a common word on our weekly assignments? They said, you use the word assessment a lot. I said, why do you think I do that? Because assessment is a big part of teaching, a big part of learning, but a big part of accountability. And we have to always remember that, that, at the end of the day, we are held to be accountable for our jobs. And let's think about how assessment's gonna fit into that every time we teach. So, making um, what I do more pragmatic has been a big part of my growth.
1: So, what does next year look like, the upcoming semesters, whether it's uh, for Prescott College or for you as the coordinator or for those student teachers that are going through their program?
0: I think the one thing that I have experienced this spring is our schools cannot wait to get these teachers. I'm sure ASU, NAU, GCU, UOP, all of them are seeing the same thing. Most of our student teachers or people who are going to be alternative certificate teachers are interviewing now for jobs without degrees. Right. We have to get them that prepared that quick. Now, there are some ways to do that in Arizona with alternative certificates, although there are caveats to that with having a degree or, um, or being a substitute teacher who can be full, you know, teaching full-time. Schools are finding different ways. And of course, I think we did this as superintendents to keep someone in that classroom, um, a certified teacher or a prepared teacher or someone who wants that job, getting them in there quickly and then supporting them.
1: Right.
0: What I'm learning here quickly is that uh, the schools really can't wait to get them out there and get them in there quick. Most of my people um, who are, and I say people meaning adults who are in the post program or getting their master's degree are going from para pros like one semester to being the full-time teacher the next semester. It's not a bad thing, but are we gonna be patient enough to teach them? So that is going to be certainly a challenge going forward for us is to not only get them out there, but also with a modicum of ability to be a good, effective, strong teacher who can get the job done and get results. Do we have the patience as a college to prepare them and as schools to accept them and work with them a bit to get them ready and keep them? Let's hope. That's going to be the challenge. I guess our challenge will be patience. Mm. I think for the college, like any other college, is to recruit teachers well. Um, those teachers who, those people we can see who are going to be effective uh, in, in, the, in our undergrad courses, moving, I think opening the doors is going to be a challenge. And what I'm seeing is maybe psych majors who want to go into special ed. Maybe people who are interested in environmental sciences, which is a big major at Prescott College, becoming general science teachers because maybe they want to move from working for a Department of Health to a science department in a high school, showing our students that there are other options and other careers for them in a school as a teacher. So that will be a, um, a challenge, but also maybe to open doors for those students. So patience and showing the opportunities to students. I think those will be uh, some areas to look forward to.
1: Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that the listeners know about?
0: Well, I think that in any teacher preparation program like ours, I am always encouraging our students to do our student teaching in rural schools. And one way that that will happen is to build rapport, excuse me, build a rapport with our rural schools. So one president college is now a member of the Arizona Rural Schools Association. Wonderful. And uh, we want to be involved with that as well and reach out to those schools that are looking for teachers. Let's build relationships because we can uh, conquer this a lot better when we're working together and we all know that. And so let's build those relationships. Let's find positions for teachers. And uh, I'm always looking for placements in those areas. So if I know it's gonna be a good a good place for a teacher to um, push and encourage going to a rural school, let's build that rapport and let's talk about it together.
1: As Wes said, we are stronger together. Agreed. <laughs> Well, Andy, thanks for spending part of your day with me today. I really enjoyed what's learning what's going on with uh, you and your rural school communities and Prescott College.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: A proud member of the Podnuga network